Welcome to Game Over Montreal. You know, it kind of feels a little bit like deja vu. I'm going to have to bring out the old one. We're going to cover another Montreal Canadiens loss. To join me today is the amazing, fantastic Julian McKenzie. How you doing, Julian? Uh, you are way too kind with your praise, my brother. Good to see you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I could, I'm tired as hell coming off the long weekend with uh, sick kids. My wife was sick at the same time. So it was just like, oh, no. you know, three people having temper tantrums the entire time. And I had to work, <laughs> <laughs> throw my wife under the bus a little bit. She won't mind. Oh, Kish doesn't hear that. No, no, no. She's amazing. She's uh, she's a trooper. I mean, compared to me when I'm sick, she gets uh, so much more done. <laughs> you know, oh, when, when you got man. that man cold, you know, you got to you just got to lay down. But yeah, you're just like in it. bed. You can't just like do anything. You're just kind of like, oh, I can't feel to do anything. You're just a baby for everything. When I got when I got sick earlier this year, I was just in my room like for five days straight, just like asking my sisters just to like get me soup and stuff. It was it was not fun. It was not fun at all. No, it ain't, it ain't fun. All right. Um, this game was it, it looked in the first period like it was going to be a, an absolute mess. Right. And we were chatting in the private chat over Twitter. Uh, heading into this one that uh, the Habs just could not handle the wild speed. And I think that held true for most of the game, but starting in the second period, they were much better at generating their own offense and they didn't take it to the wild by any stretch of the imagination, but they held in there. And, you know, a big factor in that has been carry price. And I'm not going to sit here after two games and say, Carry Price is back to prime Carry Price, but I will say that after two games, which is a tiny sample size, Carry Price, who missed seventy-four games after going through the player assistance program and rehabbing a knee injury that just would not let him get back, he's saved over a goal and a half above expected per natural stat tricks metric. That's pretty dang good, and. We talked before about how much we were going to learn about Carey Price coming back in this stretch. And I would say what we've learned is he's not done. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he looks healthy. He looks like he's getting more and more up to speed. I think this game, in terms of the shots he was facing and the frequency of them, probably a lot better than the game he got against the Islanders last week where the Canadians, for whatever reason, they found a way to stifle the Islanders offense until the third, but in particular that first period, it felt like Carey Price was seeing so much more rubber than, than uh, what he had got on, on Friday against the Islanders. I thought the game we got today was what he was going to get against the Islanders last week. And he got today, uh, but I'll say this. Yeah. Someone who thinks that these games won't necessarily in my mind, sway people that much or GMs that much if they really want to go out and trade for Carey Price. Not that they're not looking at him, but I think there are so many other factors that get in the way of that movement, including Carey Price's no movement clause. But I do think it is fair to say that like, if you're the Canadians and you're trying to see what you still have in Carey Price, it is a very small sample size, but Carey Price has looked, he's looked fine. He's looked good. 
he hasn't made like the crazy like highlight reel say, but you don't he doesn't necessarily have to do that. The carry price has just looked more than fine, I think. He certainly hasn't been the reason why the Canadians lost those two games in front of him. I mean, considering the goose eggs in terms of goals, the Canadians scored in both of those games. Yeah, he, he can't score. We've been saying that about Carey Price for quite some time. But yeah, I think he's looked just, uh, he's, I think he's looked pretty good in the two games that he's played for the Montreal Canadiens. And if you're the Canadiens brass, however you want to handle the situation with him in the offseason, you can at least feel some comfort in knowing that he is at least healthy. Yeah, I, I think that's the main takeaway here is you can look at Carey Price and say, he's not going to lose us games consistently, right? Or at least that's the way it looks to me, is he's going to hang in there. He's going to give teams ch- uh, give the team a chance to win, not Sam Montebo. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. I know we have lots of Sam yeah, Montebo fans in the chat, but uh, this it's a totally different team with Carey Price in front of them, now or behind them, sorry. And we talked before about, like, was it going to make a big difference to Carey Price collecting pucks behind the net and, you know, breaking four checks before they happen. I thought tonight made a huge difference. Like you could see it very clearly that Carey Price was helping on breakouts. So that's something that as he gets up to game speed as well, I'd like to see how much that changes things for them. But, you know, we talked about Canadians being a different uh, team in front of Carey Price. It was pointed out by Dan Robertson on the broadcast that they have not scored for Carey Price. Since game four of the Stanley Cup final, that's three straight games shut out. And I believe they scored last in the second period of that game against the Lightning in game four. So in regulation, oh, wait, that no, game in regulation, because it, it was an overtime game, right? It was an overtime game that ended yeah. with with Josh Anderson scoring. So, right. yeah, like that game four is the last time because they didn't score in the game five because it ended one nothing. So, yeah, the last time they had a regulation goal score for Carey Price was Romanov scoring in the second period of that game, which is, I think they're saying it's like 190 something minutes. Like that is a lot of time. That was before the third. That is insane. But also it's, it's also kind of representative of Carey Price's tenure with the Montreal Canadiens, a guy who has been able to do so much in goal for this team, but a lot of times I'm not going to say more often than not, but many a time he just hasn't had a sufficient offense in front of him to complement the goaltending abilities that he's had. Yeah. It's been a rough situation. Eventually they've got to score one for him, right? Like they can't have carrier price play three or four of the next five and not score a goal. (laughs) (laughs) I know everybody wants them to take and everything, but I feel like they've got to, as a team, get carry one win before the end of this season. Just just get it done. Get one win over with. I mean, they've got a game against Philly. Maybe there's the opportunity. But come on, if they can't beat Philly, like I don't like I know there's Philly on Thursday, Ottawa Saturday, Boston on Sunday, and the last game of the year is against Florida. So that's four games I could think of. Maybe he gets like what three or four more games left in the season, or however many games he wants to play. You trying to tell me Carey Price can't at least get that game against Philly? If Montreal can't beat Philadelphia, considering how bad they've been this year, <laughs> geez, at this point, man, look, I get it. This team, everyone's trying to tank. Every, a lot of fans are like, man, these games are we want them to tank and all that. You cannot, you can't tell me as a Canadiens fan that you feel good losing to Philadelphia. I'm sorry. It no. doesn't matter if you watch Shane Wright 
It doesn't matter if you want a top three pick in the first in the first round uh, for the upcoming draft. If you come up to me and you're like, man, I'm so glad the Montreal Canadiens lost of the Philadelphia Flyers with Carey Price in debt. I'm sorry, man. Like well, you go tell it. You go tell the Canadians. You go tell Carey Price. You as a fan. I'm not saying you specifically as a fan, but the fans would do this. You go tell Carey Price, who has done everything he can to battle back to the net and 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 go through the rehab and go through uh, the player assistance program and everything that he's gone through in his personal life. You go up to Carey Price after they somehow if they somehow lose the Philadelphia Flyers and tell him, man, I'm really happy y'all are doing it for the tank. You go, we have to remember that too. Like as much as fans are going to be excited about, man, you know, I want the Canadians to lose more games. The players are not wired that way. A lot of these guys, like I, I was explaining this to you last week, I get Cancun on three vibes from them. Like a lot of those guys just want to check out and just get the hell out of here with this season. And they don't give a damn about what draft position they're going to come up with. So for Carey Price, I, if he, even if he just gets one win, that's going to mean so much to him and everything that he's had to go through. So I don't know. I, I, I like I'm I, maybe I shouldn't be telling fans what to do, but like don't be that guy being like, man, just tank every single game of the year. I think you have to expect some some wins here and there for this team, at least to kind of bump morale up. And for someone like Carey Price, who's done everything he can to get back in this, it would be a nice moment for him. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Julian, like as much as people want the Canadians to tank and, you know, it's better for them to get Shane Wright than not. You can tell by the engagement in this show, frankly, how many people are tuning in early in the season when things were totally off the rails, when the Canadians won, the, the numbers actually went down, right? People were, mm. were more excited to just trash Ducharme, trash Bergevin. But then once the changeover happened and St. Louis came in and there was that little injection of excitement and then having those like comeback games at the last second, win it in overtime, win it in a shootout or just steal a game at the last minute, the numbers went up when they would win. Now that they've lost, I think, six in a row now again, and it's starting to feel like the beginning of the season, people aren't engaged. You know, it, the fan base wants to have that excitement back. They got a hint of what fun is again. And they there was excitement at the Bell Center. And, you know, there was excitement to see Carey Price last game. I, I think that as much as you want the Canadians to get that pick, getting a win does mean something still to the fan base. Even the tankers, I think, would rather see Carey Price get a win than go winless the whole rest of the way. And the fact is... They've won. They've lost six straight. They're still not a point closer to being lower than the Arizona Coyotes because they've lost just as many. <laughs> like we closed out last show, and we were like, "Oh, Arizona's up one on the Calgary Flames. Maybe they'll actually <laughs> sneak one out." And Jared Book is like, "Watch the uh, the Calgary Flames score eight straight," and he almost got it because they scored nine. Nine. <laughs> you know what the worst part is about this Canadians like losing streak and the San Luis effect as I've called it. And a lot of other people have called it the worst part about it kind of fading is that like, I mean, it's one thing to see the players just get to a point where the fight that they had in some of those games, it's just not working out for them. Cause you're right. They had games where they were trying to battle back and like it, it, it almost worked for them, but the special teams, which were bad under, under Dominic Ducharme are still bad. In fact, they're yep. just as bad under Martin San Luis. And this, the play in the defensive zone is, is bad. Maybe not from a coverage standpoint, like what it was like under Ducharme, but 
the Canadians are seemingly incapable of clearing pucks out of the defensive zone. A lot of sloppy play. There was like a stretch that stuck in my mind where like Corey Schooneman was trying to handle the puck. He couldn't get it out. I think it might have been Josh Anderson. I forget who, but he also had the puck in the zone and he couldn't even get it out too. There's way too much of that under Martin St. Louis. And, and, and hearing Mike Johnson say like, hey, there's, there's stuff you know, that the Canadians haven't really been able to practice a lot. With Martin St. Louis, I can I can I can sympathize a guy in his first ever NHL coaching gig getting to a point where he's just still trying to get his bearings under him with regards to getting everything, being up to speed on everything and getting practices and stuff and and all that. Guy also kind of sounds like how Dominic Ducharme was kind of ushered into the job, right? Because he it's kind of weird how those two are kind of mirroring each other, not to mention they already have the similarities that they have. One thing I keep thinking about with Martin St. Louis, too is that a lot of the good that we saw with him happened in the season, obviously, where none of this really matters at the end of the day. I don't think it's too early. Yes, I don't think it's too early. The point I'm going to say is I don't think it's too early to start thinking like, man, what is this going to look like next year? Obviously, we won't know what the roster will look like until it comes time, but I'm really curious to see how his tactics, his style will hold up when the games, at least at the start of the year, will still mean something to those players. That's something I'm I'm not saying. I'm not saying they're gonna be bad, I'm not saying they're gonna be good. I'm just looking forward to what Martin St. Louis will be like behind the bench. Because uh, unless he has a change of heart, I see him coaching this team next season. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree that there is like a very real phenomenon of a team being essentially eliminated from the playoffs and all of a sudden they play loose and you can see that you saw saw it last year with the Ottawa Senators right Mm -hmm. absolutely terrible for the first half of the season in the COVID shortened season and then once they were essentially eliminated all of a sudden they're stealing games against teams that were way better than them they were playing that pesky style again guys had some some rhythm and flow offensively they just kind of threw you know threw it all to the wind and saw what stuck this year, when the games mattered again, what happened? Oh, well, the Senators suck again in the first half of the year. And all of a sudden, in the last half of the year, where they're clearly eliminated, Senators are starting to look good again. <laughs> you know, it's that same pattern. But the Canadians, and I brought this up a few shows ago, this season was over like five or six games in. Like, it, it was very clear it wasn't going to happen. So they had 40 games under Dom Ducharme where it could have been like, well, we'll play loose and it'll be okay and we can get a couple guys going. It didn't happen. So I feel like that bump under Martin St. Louis is not just the phenomenon of being out of it and things don't matter. There's definitely something there. And just talking to people around the game who are like heavy into coaching and skills coaching, like they do really, really believe in Martin St. Louis as like a next generation coach in the same way that they believe in the, Don Granado in Buffalo as the next guy who's coming up. So there's fully in agreement with you. And and as someone who sometimes gets to be in those, not scrums, but the press conferences post game, I've heard so many players speak praises of Martin St. Louis and I always change the vibe. And a lot of guys want to play for him. I'm, I'm not trying to say that like, that's going to be thrown out the window too. I think there's clearly a change in, in, in the atmosphere of the team having some of the younger guys around a lot of guys are, are looking to build for next year and all of that. 
I was talking with, with Joel Edmondson earlier this week and he was just, he was really, really uh, commendable and, and respectful, not just respectful, but spoke a lot of spoke pretty highly of Marte San Luis and the environment that he's brought into that team. Uh, so definitely like, I, I'm not discounting that when I say what I say, when I said what I said about Marte San Luis, but I think it's fair to ask like, how will his tactics and how will his style hold up for next season when the season will, the, well, at least at the start, we'll have games that matter. And I'll say this with Ducharme too. Yes, like the first handful of games, it was pretty much over, but Ducharme also had to push through the COVID bug and all the injury stuff too. So it's, I don't even know how loose some of those guys could even really play at certain points. You had guys in the lineup who were ACHL guys who were just like, wow, I'm in the NHL. This is awesome. Hey, like, you know, yeah, Cam, like, put some respect on Cam Hillis's name. He played a decent game. <laughs> he tried his best. That, he that tried his game. absolute best. They were one step away from calling uh, calling you and I to start playing some of these games. That would have been bad for me. Actually, probably would have been bad for both of us here in terms of conflict of interest. But I don't know. Maybe they're gonna have. Maybe I don't know. It was it was it was looking pretty dicey. And they had those games uh, around Christmas where they had ECHL players. For the Montreal Canadiens, I'm sure they've already obliterated that man that uh, record for um, uh, was it man games, man games lost, lost due yes. to injury. Uh, they own the like that. They own the record now for most man games lost in a single season, and I believe they're chasing 700 now. 700 man games lost. The previous record was like 612 or something like that, and they're way beyond that. So they are also close, if not already, at the record for most goals allowed in a season in their franchise's history. I think the two goals they allowed today might have tied the record. If I, I need to double check that, but I think they are pretty close to that record too. It's been a season, Julian. Oh, it has been <laughs> quite a season. I don't know how you've been season. doing this all year, my man. Yeah, it, it's, you know what? We still have fun, you know? And, you know, we talked about Ducharme many a time on this show and how he was given shit inheritance right like he did not have a good situation to deal with i think the same really goes for martin st louis and we talked about defensive breakdowns and watching this game the last few games i can't get away from the fact that i'm not sure how much of it is structural and i know we're talking about st louis not having a lot of practice time so he hasn't maybe put in the structure that he wants compared to how much of it is a reminder that this is not a good roster, right? There are players with promise on this team for sure. Suzuki Caulfield is like a duo that will be a very big deal for the Canadians for the next 10 plus years. But overall, we have to come back to the fact while they're losing these games that Mark Bergevin built a terrible team and he built a terrible team that was beset by incredible amounts of injuries. And part of that was known before the season, right? Shea Weber was never going to play. We knew that in the summer. Bergevin knew that that was going to happen for years. Never prepared for it, right? So it's it's easy to throw it all on Ducharme or to, to point at St. Louis for people who are angry and want the team to be better. But this team has a long way to go. And I look at... The Detroit Red Wings, who today was the third anniversary of Steve Eisman being named GM of the Detroit Red Wings. They have still not yeah. sniffed the playoffs. And I wonder 
who was in a better situation, the Detroit Red Wings now, on, or Detroit Red Wings, Red Wings three years ago under Steve Eiserman, or the Montreal Canadiens right now under uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon? And I don't know the answer. You know, I think the Red Wings were in a similar situation where they had a lot of players signed for very long-term deals at bad money. I don't know if the Canadians are as crippled in that way. Uh, that's a bad word. Sorry, I probably shouldn't use that word. But as uh, besieged, I'll say, by bad contracts. Okay. But uh, I think the Canadians have more decent NHL pieces, if that makes sense. And at the time... I don't think the Red Wings had much in terms of prospects. Like they had some decent guys like Anthony Mantha, but they never really fit. Uh, Dylan Larkin was already great, but has gotten better since then. It's like Larkin is Larkin and Mantha are kind of like their off-field Suzuki situation, but Mantha, obviously they traded for Vrana, but overall it's, it's a very similar situation. So if you're Hughes and Gorton, are you looking at two more years where the Montreal Canadiens are not making the playoffs. I feel like that's realistic. And this division, maybe by then, will be a little bit of a clearer path for the Montreal Canadiens. But for the Detroit Red Wings, like next year is not going to be easy either. Right? Yeah. Boston ain't going anywhere. Tampa's not going anywhere. Toronto ain't going anywhere. Florida's not going anywhere. That's why teams like Detroit and the Senators, who are trying to come up right now, man, it's a bad time to be at the end of a rebuild. And, and another team that, I mean, they've been in the dark for the last decade. Maybe next year might be the year. Maybe they're at least where Detroit is. The Buffalo Sabres. Yep. They actually look respectable. They do. Uh, they, they, Don Granato's got a lot out of this team. Like, the Atlantic division next year is going to look really interesting because you're going to have four clear-cut teams that, or maybe depending on what Boston does for next year, but between Florida, Tampa, and Toronto, you have three teams that are for sure or at least they're expected to compete. Boston, as long as they have David Pasternak and Brad Marchand, who knows what's going to be what's going to happen with Patrice Bergeron, but they still have a decent core in place where they should be expected to compete. And then Detroit, Buffalo, and I'll even throw Otto out there because they, they they keep saying every year that like this is the time. Now they're going to try to make something work. You have those three teams that are saying, you know what, we are going to make a push and be a competitive team. But I look at the Montreal Canadiens. And you're right. Like Mark Bergman did not construct a great roster for this year. I think the fact that they had the experience that they had going into the Stanley Cup final the year prior. And I think the fact that at the very least, if they're going to have a healthy carry price go in, I think we look at this team a little bit differently. I said that they were at least going to fight for a playoff spot with the roster that they had, but clearly not having carry price affected them, not having enough depth on defense affected them the coaching style just did not help and even some of the free agent acquisitions one Mike Hoffman in particular did not help and letting go of guys like Philip Deneau which I think of all the pieces like it's people keep saying like yeah you know this team didn't have Shea Weber yeah Carey Price was hurt it who would have thought that losing Philip Deneau might have hurt the most yes Nick Suzuki's in a position where he's he's fully uh kind of growing into a number one center role or at least a top center role on this team but Maybe he could have benefited from another year of being insulated by Philip Deneau, who yeah, has found his scoring touch in Los Angeles, which is what he wanted to be paid for all along. 
And Mark Bergevin still kind of gets to reap the benefits of that peak as being that, an advisor for the Los wild. Angeles Kings, which that's I think is the wild. funniest thing. It's the funniest thing. It's kind of like, remember when uh, Chicago won that first cup in like 2010 and they're going through all the different people who are like holding up the Stanley cup and you randomly see like Pierre Gauthier on the ice holding the cup. You're just like, what the hell? Like you were, you were just in charge of a crappy team not too long ago. Was it that year or 2013 he got to do it? There was one of those years where it was just kind of like, you you should not be here doing this. What are you no, doing, Pierre? I don't recall, but yeah, it was, I don't it was recall pretty quick. Either. I mean, it's the same thing as like Pete Chiarelli, wasn't he? Didn't he go to St. Louis the year they won the cup? Pete Chiarelli. Like when he got Harvard's own. I don't remember. Maybe it was Har- Harvard's own Peter Chiarelli uh, who did his own. thing. But the ultimate point with the Montreal Canadiens that I want to make here, like, I think they're going to be in a really interesting spot with all these other teams in their division uh, that are also trying to compete. I'm also curious just about the composition of that roster. Detroit, like to to answer your question, like they have Larkin, they have, they have a cider and Raymond both drafted fourth overall. They made some good draft picks, uh, but I mean, they, they haven't touched the playoffs uh, like the Montreal Canadiens have. And if Carey Price is healthy, going back to Carey Price, what does this roster look like next year? If yeah. it, what does this team look like next year if Carey Price is able to keep them in games and he's healthy, and maybe they get some other pieces that can at least shore them up just a little bit? Are they fighting for the playoffs? Are they a little better than people give them credit for? I think right now there's just way too many questions, and I'll have a much clearer idea i know maybe it's a bit of a cop out here but like i'll have a much we'll have we'll all have a much clearer idea when it comes time for for free agency with however kent hughes and jeff gordon which by the way we haven't mentioned jeff gordon's name in a while remember when people were worried that like the gm of the montreal canadians was just gonna be a puppet for jeff gordon i don't feel that's happened as much but all that to say we're gonna know a lot more about what this team could be made of by the time training camp rolls around, we have an idea of like who's playing where and who's still on the team and who's actually going to be healthy. Right now, it's it's still really too unclear to determine with the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it is. And like th- this is the thing about next year, right? People, are, I've seen some people think like, oh, maybe this roster can push for the playoffs next year, like get close. I don't think people realize the level of uphill climb that they have to do. You know, like I know a lot of people really like Josh Anderson. I like elements of Josh Anderson's game. I understand why people like Josh Anderson, but man, the hockey sense is not great for Anderson. There are a few times tonight that I think really exemplified his game, good and bad, but there are times where he just doesn't get it. You know, he was lugging the puck through the neutral zone. Caulfield's there for an outlet pass that would put him essentially on a partial break. And he just slowly skates it up and then dumps it. (laughs) You know, it's stuff like that where it's like, is he a top six player? Right. And if he's not a top six player, you better have a damn good third line. (laughs) Right. Because, he's paid a lot of money and that third line better score and they better outscore competition. It's, it's a lot, man. And you look at the flexibility that uh, Detroit has not had under Eisman because of the contracts that he inherited, the roster turnover hasn't been as quick as you might have thought, right? It's only this year really where you've seen a lot of players break in who are game breakers, right? And 
even like still on defense, they have Mort Sider and what? Like it's it's just not much. And Isn't that's Danny DeKaiser still there. Danny DeKaiser still there, dragging the Sider down. Like he was playing with Sider this mm. season. He was playing with Mark Stahl. Bad contract this when they signed it. It was, and that's like Ken Holland really set them up really poorly. And it's the same kind of thing here with Montreal is they've got a lot of guys that you don't want to pay long-term sign long-term that are going to have to be moved out. And even if you do move them out, you got to find replacements. Like we've talked many a time now that defense, who is a top four of the guys that they have, right? You know, Gooley is going to be a top four, but shouldn't be rushed in next year. No, I think as much as I think next year is going to be better in terms of there's no way they could have, sorry, that many injuries. And there's probably going to be a lot more fun in the way that they play, starting with a clean slate. Some younger players probably making the team out of camp like Yelonen and Suzuki Caulfield starting the season off much better than they did this year. But the pain is not over. <laughs> I would say that, but you know what? Let's take a bit of an inter- interlude bet- with this uh, sad sack podcast that we got going here, Julian, talk about all the negatives. I wasn't trying to make anything sad. I was trying to get these jokes up. I know, I know, but I'm bringing the, the heavy stuff. Uh, you've got a bit of a hype announcement here to talk about, right? So I let's do. Let's go on. The CJ show is doing something. We are doing something. Uh, in fact, uh, I imagine for the viewership of the show, not everyone who watches Game Over Montreal watches the CJ show or vice versa. Uh, so it's kind of a little bit of a, like, a, imagine you're kind of, you know, like an exclusive for you guys for a little bit. You guys are get to be up to date for about like two more days. Uh, so on Thursday's show, we are going to drop. Uh, how can I put this? It's like a it's like a poll, you know. A couple episodes ago, we just we t- we kind of played around with the idea of you know it'd be fun to know uh, what CJ's ballot would be for uh, the NHL awards, uh, as he does obviously get to vote on he obviously gets to vote on them. But why not see what the rest of the SDPN would vote for? And I mean, the SDPN is in you know everyone watching the shows, everyone taking in the podcast. You are all part of the SDPN in some way so on thursday sometime on thursday uh and i got a shout out to yams i got a shout out to robert malloy as well the mods jesse blake always says to you know stick tap to the mods they do a great job Absolutely. they put together this google form where uh you'll be able to log in and put in your choices for the major nhl awards and uh, we'll go through uh the different respondents and the results of that poll uh, I guess closer to the playoffs. So maybe the Monday before the, uh, I guess the, the Monday of the playoffs, that's when I think we might actually do it. But on Thursday, we're going to drop that poll. Uh, we'll throw out the links once the episode's out or however we'll put it out. And you will have the opportunity to let your voice be heard about who you think should win the Hart Trophy, the Norris Trophy, uh, every single major award possible. There will be different like preloaded options, but you'll have the opportunity to write in different candidates as well. Uh, yeah, the uh, I forget what the formal name that we've given it uh, actually is. I think we're calling it like the CJS like fan awards vote. Uh, 
I, I think that's the name we're going to give it here. The 2021-2022 Chris Johnston Show fan votes. Right, that's more or less what we're going to call it. A bit of a long title. But on Thursday, you'll be able to partake and that will run until about the end of the season. So when it comes time on Thursday, let us know uh, who you think is going to win the Hart. Who, let us know who you think is going to win the Norris. Let us know who you think is going to win the Selkie. All of that. You, you can even vote on the Art Ross and the Rocket Richard too, uh, if those races haven't already been done. So, yeah, uh, that's the surprise announcement, man. Uh, we're going to be uh, putting the power of voting for different uh, award categories in the hands of the people. Starting Thursday, I swear to God, I know SDPN is a very Toronto focused network at the moment, but if Michael Bunting wins the Calder in this fan vote, I'm coming for y'all. <laughs> I'm coming for y'all. The man is older than Gary Ooh. Bettman. No, he's not. I know. Don't do this. Don't you know do what the, this. Listen, I, is he older than Steve Dangle, though? No, he's not. No, he's I'm not kidding. older than Steve Dangle. No, not older than me. He's not older than you, unfortunately. No, he's not uh, older than me. He's older than both his line mates, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, like 26. Yeah, 26. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I am older than Michael Bunton, but not by that much. No, no. You're about average NHL or age, Jesse or uh, Julian. Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, I was going to make fun of the 2021 the 22 Chris Johnston show ballot and say, is it worse of, of as a name than the Jesse Blake? Sports show or what's it called? The, the Jesse Blake Sports Report. So Blake Sports I think it's, there's another title on the on the Google form in front of me. CJS Award Winners Ballot. Award winners. We'll ballot. come up okay. with a fan. We'll come up with a better name or whatever. I don't know. I'm sorry for stumbling on the name. It's been a long day. It's been uh, a long but also, week, and it's, it's only Tuesday. Week. Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Uh, I mean, if, if people like the name, so I, I like still think he's got to go say. with the Jesse Blake's hot takes. I like you're here with Jesse Blake. You're here with Jesse Blake. You're here with Jesse Blake. Sounds like a local uh, TV station thing where he's got it's got to be like filmed grainy, like through the, like the VHS filter. <laughs> yeah, it's like on those uh, those uh, local access television channels exactly. like. Like CH fourteen or CHCH or whatever. Gotta be smoking a cigarette while he's doing it. Oh my god! <laughs> There's like stains on the carpet of the set that he's on. Like it's it's just it's really just like like not amateur hour, but it's it's definitely not the bright lights of CTV Montreal. You know, like you're not working <laughs> with Mitsubishi Takahashi. In the know with Jesse Blake with the no. That's Robert's. Uh, Robert's yes, in the know. I like, I like it. that. I like, I like it. that. Are you going to Andrew? You can take part in that uh, that player poll, well, not player poll, but uh, the fan poll. By the way, I would love to know. Maybe on a future episode of your show, or 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 I don't know how we'll figure it out, but I would love to know your ballot uh, for the uh, fan poll once it's out. Maybe what, what we'll what we should do is we'll get the STP guys in on it and we'll all like publicly post our ballots after voting is closed. Yes. Right? Cuz we don't yes, want to That's influence, a great idea. But we'll do it like the NHL actual voters do, right? And I'm guessing CJ's not voting cuz that'd be a bit of a spoiler cuz he gets a real vote, but uh it'll be fun. I don't know. What's wrong with why would it be a spoiler if CJ voted? Cuz he gets to vote for real. 
I mean, yeah, but also like his votes would kind of get swept up in all the other results. So it's not like I, I mean, mean, I could I yeah, could but... go in for myself and see what he voted for. And I'm sure he might be willing to, to to share that when it comes time. But it's not like, you know, I don't know if it's a spoiler to be like, oh, wow, we're all going to know what he's going to vote for. Like, yeah, we want to know who he's going to vote for. But it'd be also cool to see uh, the results of everyone just voting on the poll and seeing where most of the people who voted for are skewing towards. Definitely Leafs. expecting a Leafs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely expecting a Leafs bias. But one thing I've learned uh, during my time at the SDPN, there is uh, there there are people from all around the NHL spectrum, whether in North America or in Europe, that want to be represented. So I feel comfortable that even if there will be a leaf slant in these results, there will be some very interesting answers and responses and some other maybe some surprise picks for some awards and please don't fool around and write like fat man eating sausage for like some of these. Well, now that you said it, somebody's good. Now that I said it, I just completely ruined yeah. it. Hexertion says we're making fun of Jesse's show name, but the flagship show here is called the Steve dangle podcast. You raise a solid point. You raise, raise a very good point. I will. Let's let's shit talk the STP boys a little bit because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know that Steve dangle is the only person on the Steve Dangle podcast network that started on SDP that doesn't actually host a show? Because Adam hosts the Steve Dangle podcast. And he does. Jesse has his own show, and Adam hosts Agent Provocateur. That's actually a really good point. But (laughs) Adam's the only one who doesn't have a podcast with his name in it. That is also true. I mean, unless Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde is a thing, which I don't I think, think it is. I think it's just called Agent Provocateur. Yeah. I mean, Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde is a little too long. Little, little. I will say, now that we're in like the, this is kind of like an informal advertisement, right? What we're doing right now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pushing the yeah. network. While we're in here, before we go back. Would you to rather we game, talk about how bad the Canadians are? Maybe. But. <laughs> Before we move on back back to the Canadians being bad, I will say yeah. it's not even going to be a week from now, I think, that we're launching more game overs. It's happening, guys. Toronto, mm-hmm. Calgary, Edmonton are coming your way. Coming for that ass. It's coming. It's coming. So get excited. You know, the fans are excited. The team's excited. The sponsors are excited. Oh, 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 you said the S word. No, I just, oh. I'm just quoting Eugene Melnick. You remember that interview? Oh, I, I, it's, we can't be out here. But, damn, you know what? I'm just going to leave Eugene out. I'm not, I'm not trashing him. You go ahead. It was you a go meme. Ahead it Eugene was a Melnick. meme, Julian. It was a meme. You do what you need to do. This, this man, this man is, it might still be on his way to St. Peter right now, wherever he's going. I'm not talking about that man. <laughs> I've done enough. I've spoken enough about him on respective platforms. If you want to talk about the name of Eugene Melnick and what he's doing now, go ahead. I'm not saying anything about what he's doing now. That is all you, sir. I'm not. I am not tempting fate, sir. Nope. Mm -mm -mm. I've had a good what he did back in the day. All right. um, Back to the Montreal Canadiens. Seamless transition. Seamless. Seamless. Yes. Uh, (laughs) One thing that I did like tonight, I will say. 
is that uh, when a Minnesota Wild player so much as breathed on Carey Price, there was a scrum. And I have to say that the fact that the Canadians are rallying around him and pushing guys away and getting upset at the slightest infraction to me shows that there's some team unity there. And despite the fact that they're not good, they're, they care about uh, their goalie, right? And we didn't see that early in the season when guys got run. So that was a nice little thing. And uh, yeah, there's a comment here. I love Tyler Pitlick a lot. I thought Tyler Pitlick had a great game. And me too. let's let's go from the scrum with Carey Price. We'll get your comments on that. And then we'll transition to Tyler Pitlick's goal that got called back. Because I think mm-hmm. we've got to talk about that goalie interference call a little bit. Okay, so the first things first here, like anytime I see any type of contact on a goaltender and the response afterwards, I will always think of Samuel Maldumbo getting run over in that one game. I think it was against Edmonton, like not too long before Dominic Ducharme got fired. That, I think, was the biggest sign that the team had essentially quit and just kind of checked out because they weren't even really all that amped up to to defend their goaltender. Since then it looked as if, it looks as if they've been a bit better, but yeah, I think the fact that Carey Price has been able to get that protection from his teammates, if memory serves, there might have even been a similar situation when he played against the Islanders as well. Like the like the Canadians have stepped up and realized, "Hey, we cannot afford to get Carey Price run, especially after all he's done to get back in the net." And it wouldn't surprise me, especially through the end of this of this regular season, we see more extra care and extra more defense uh, when it comes to protecting Carey Price. Speaking of goalies, uh, that goalie interference call, after I looked at it, I could understand why it was called the way that it was. Uh, a bit of a tough break for Tyler Pitlick, though, who did play really well. And I think the game honestly would have changed if that goal would have stood. The Canadians were playing pretty well. And if they tie that game, maybe they still lose, but maybe it's a much closer, it's a closer game too. I think there's so many other possibilities that could have happened as a result of that. But with goalie interference, I was actually getting into like a, a little back and forth with Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette. You can also watch on the Hockey Inside Out show uh, with me and sometimes Andrew. But uh, this week it's Stu, Rick Green, and Dan Robertson was on last week. Uh, he'll also be on with us this week. Hey, look at me promoting another podcast. Um I'll say this about Stu. He was trying to make the point that goaltender goaltender interference, because the people do such a bad job at like calling it on the reviews, we should get rid of the opportunity to review goalie interference. And like, I disagree with that. Yes, yeah, so do I. I, <laughs> see, I disagree. Here's the thing: the reviews of goalie interfere, interference are not necessarily the problem. There may be, a, I think there, there, there's, you can make the argument there's an issue with how they could come about. There was like one, there was like one review, I think last year, where like Esperi Kakanemi scored a goal in the crease and it was called a goal on the ice. And I forget how they triggered a goalie interference review, but I think they, I think the other team had to do like a coach's challenge to make that happen. That I thought was really confusing, but Considering how goalie interference is so black and is not black and white at all, is very nuanced and is up to the interpretation of the referee, not having review for it, like whether you have review for it or not, 
you're still going to have that problem. It's not the reviews that are necessarily the problem with goaltender interference. It's the interpretation of the rule. Yeah. And if you have referees who have their own interpretation of the rule, whether or not you have reviews, whether they come from the league or whether it's from a coach's challenge or whatever, as long as you have different interpretations of the rule from different refs, you are always going to have problems. And if you take out reviews, you are going to find yourself in a position where goals are either going to be allowed or not allowed. And you're going to have that same nuance for goaltender interference there. So I don't see why eliminating review, which at least gives referees a second look, why I don't see any reason why you have to take that out and, yeah, and I don't make think it, it helps. even harder to judge goalie interference. Like, I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I hope I'm making sense. I think Stu's entire point is to try to, like, keep the pace of the game up, right? And if they're not going to get the call, the call right with the goalie interference review, what's the point even reviewing it? Just live with the bad calls from the refs. I understand it, but I think it's wrong-headed because, the, like you mentioned, the issue is a lack of clarity, a lack of a clear definition of what goaltender interference is. And this is something that last year I was just really frustrated with how the calls were going for goaltender interference. And I talked to someone that I know who's an assistant GM and they said that what the league office consistently says is if there is contact with the goaltender and it's in the blue paint, it doesn't matter who initiated contact or like if it's the opposing player or uh, if the contact necessarily stopped the goaltender from making the save. If there's contact in the blue, it's not going to be a goal. That's what that does not get followed at all. No, that's the no thing. way. That's the thing. Last year, when I looked at a ton of goaltender interference calls, it was mostly followed. This year, not even close. This year Come is on. out the goddamn window. And I have no idea what changed or what's going on. But the thing with the Dolphin interference, which like I can understand where they're coming from making that call. My issue with that call, and I'm, I'm trying not to be like Montreal biased here. I'm trying to look at it I as get it. a completely objective observer. Does Laurent Dauphin have a right in that space outside the crease to fight for the puck? Because the puck was there. I don't think he saw the puck leave. Right? So he's mm-hmm. in a goal mouth scramble. Outside, mm-hmm. He never goes in the crease. He's only in the white paint. Yes, he pushes the Minnesota Wild player down, but isn't that allowed? You know what I mean? And like, yeah, he, he falls into the goalie, but even though Dauphin moves around the edge of the crease and keeps his feet moving, and to say like that implies intent to push the Wild player into Talbot, who was outside of the net, to me, he was moving around the edge of the crease, purposely not strafing into the crease, to not get called for goalie interference. So I'm just confused personally about what the rule is intended to do, because if it's to call it as like, what should be goaltender interference? Like was the goalie interfered with at all in their, their own space? Then I get it, but that's not how they call it. That's never how they call it. It's not supposed to be according to the NHL rule book, a subjective call where you're looking at was the goaltender stopped from making the save. It's supposed to be in that blue paint. That's the goalie's space. So I look at 
goalie interference, non-calls, like, do you remember against the Rangers a few seasons ago? I mean, say a few seasons, it was probably like 2014 now, where Rick Nash hooked his skate on Carey Price's pad inside the blue pad, but then dragged him remember this. outside yeah. the net entirely, and the refs and the goaltender interview reviewer people in Toronto were like, well, the contact was outside the paint, but Nash had to go through the crease to make contact. It's like, if you can physically drag a goalie out of the crease, that should be interference. Yeah. And that's not interference, but you can't battle for a puck in front of the net and have that, that other player knocked into the goalie. Who's not in position. I just like, what are we doing here? I don't know. They'd be better off if if they just said, you know what, any contact on the goalie, whether it's and whether even if it's a situation where like a defensive player is pushing uh, his own like his opposing player into his own goalie, like they're better off just say just any contact on the goalie, just nuts to that. Like like let's whistle it down. But that's the problem with this rule. Even if there is something in writing, it is very clear that when games are officiated. Different referees have different viewpoints of that yep. rule, and it is not consistent enough for uh, for fans and especially for the players. Imagine a guy like Brendan Gallagher who has been oh on the wrong on on a lot of those goalie interference calls that especially have not gone his way. Like, yeah, I, I don't blame him for for putting up the the shrug emojis on Twitter and wondering aloud like. Dude, what what is goalie interference? Like, what is it? And going to the media and be like, we were told this was the rule. Like, if it's not clear for the players, it's definitely not going to be that clear for us as media people. It's definitely not going to be clear for for fans. It's not going to be clear for enough people. And uh, the NHL has to figure this out because it's still a problem and it's been a problem for way too long. And I definitely think, to bring it back to my initial point here, that you need to put the referees or at least someone in position where you could just figure this out and and taking out review is not going to solve anything. It might just have it as the same where people still don't know the rule and games might eventually get be cost or, or, or other teams might lose out on games because of a rule not being enforced. Yeah. It's, and the thing is goalie, goalie interference reviews are probably the most confusing one, but they're not the only review that needs to be overhauled. Right. Like, right offside reviews i think that's the one where people get really upset because oh i i i could do without without 45 seconds later just who gives a crap my my (sighs) whole point on like offside reviews is it's supposed to prevent the matt deshane goal from years ago right where he's like 10 feet offside if it takes more than five seconds to judge an offside review it should not matter to a goal at all so that's yeah. and you know we can say the same thing maybe for goaltender interference calls if it's not obvious that goaltender was impeded let it count the difference between that and offsides though for me is just like how much physicality you want your goaltender staff to deal but let's yeah, that's true let's move on to uh, a couple other things here um let's see what uh, oh hoffman mike hoffman Oh, your favorite player. My my man, Mike Hoffman. I actually thought he was all right tonight uh, after the first period. I thought he had some great defensive plays. I'm wondering if he's hurt, Julian. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here because when he had that partial breakaway and he got the shot off, it it just didn't have zip on it. Like, Hoffman's got a damn good shot. No matter what you can say about the guy, he has a damn good shot. And 
just doesn't have that zip on it right now. And I, I wonder if he's dealing with like a wrist or a shoulder thing that's preventing him from getting a shot off because that would make a lot of sense for why he's been struggling so much. But I also wonder if he does have that problem, considering how this season has been going, why is he playing hurt? Like, because there's no like one else. Why? <laughs> I, I guess, but like, why play through that pain? There are other reinforcements the team could always tap into to to fill in for him, right? But that would that's what I would be thinking of. But also, I mean, the Canadians just tonight lost Paul Byron due to an injury, and I don't think he came back. So, yeah, the Canadians, the Canadians right now, you're a lot of walking wounded throughout much of this season. Uh, but I don't necessarily think you have to put yourself through more of that. Uh, if you're playing hurt. So I, 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 I didn't necessarily think he was hurt or not, but now it's something I'll look out for for future games with him if he's still in the lineup. But we'll also see between now and, and Thursday if he needs to take a maintenance day or if he needs more time. But I'm sure there are other guys on that team who are also feeling in pain as well, going through the rigors of the season and with other and what other injuries they might be they might be suffering. So I, Mike Hoffman's definitely not the only one. A uh, comment asking, what do we think about uh, the possibility that Suzuki is playing banged up right now because he's been missing practices for therapy days? Well, mm-hmm. my thing with Nick Suzuki is he's two and a half seasons or so into his NHL career. And like just in terms of games played, if you divide it by 82, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. last season was so short. He hasn't missed a game yet. Right, he's nope. got 203 or 204 games straight in his Ironman streak as a very young kid. I kind of like that, you know. Maybe he's a little bit banged up, but I don't think that he's playing if he's super banged up, just because there's nothing to play for. Like if he's if he has something that playing would make worse, I don't think he could be bruised to have a maintenance day. He could just be tired, man. That he's too. played a lot of hockey this season. Uh, so look at him out there. He last few years between his rookie year to the bubble to the playoffs yep. to now, like, and people are wondering, like, hey, should he be playing for the world championship? Like, if I, if he could do it, he could do it. But I also wouldn't blame him if he said, you know what, let me just take the summer off to relax. And one other point that was made during the uh, during the TSN broadcast as well, and also something that's been on my mind uh, throughout much of the year, this Canadian's team not only was it not built well. This is a team that did not have a lot of time in the offseason to recuperate yeah. and train for the new year. There are guys who have like trained maybe like a small handful of days in anticipation for this new season. And, and, and it has to do that, with the fact. Right? Yeah. Like it has to do with the fact that like the season last season ended as late as it did. And the layoff between then and the new season was not nearly as long as they're normally used to. So yeah, I think that definitely plays a role into it and also a reason why the Canadians probably suffered as many injuries as they did. And hey, you know what? Maybe Tampa Bay should have should have had as much too because they had the same layoff too. But they and they've also been playing a lot of hockey themselves. But it seemed like the Canadians going through what they've been going through, like that's that's definitely notable. So yeah, I, we got to take stock of the fact that they have not had a lot of time uh to to recuperate from last year into this year and it wouldn't surprise me as as cool as it would be for the canadians to have a representative in nick suzuki at the world championship if he says you know what man i want to take the summer off and just relax and then get myself in shape for next season i don't think anyone should should 
should think that's a bad thing. No, no. Uh, and you know who's definitely going to the World Championships is Cole Caulfield. Oh, he, I think he's going. He's healthy, and the USA is going to come calling. Oh, yeah. Cole Caulfield, the fact that he's put himself in a position with the second half of the year that he's had. Like, I'd be surprised if the USA didn't call him. And I think Cole Caulfield should take advantage of that opportunity, represent his country at the senior men's level, and try to do some damage at that tournament, man. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, he should take advantage of that opportunity. And for anyone who wants to play with Canada, wants to play with Claude Julien too, like, hey, all the power to you. You know it's Claude Julien coaching again for the World Championship. That's right, yeah. He got And DJ Smith. And DJ and Smith. And Andre Toligny, actually. That's right, yeah. A lot of uh, good up-and-coming coaches underneath uh, Claude Julien there in uh, where's the World Championships this year? Somewhere in Europe. Right? In Finland. They're Finland. in Finland. Helsinki? Uh, Tampere, I think. I don't okay. remember, but I know they're in Finland. I mean, it's it's one of those tournaments that I like, but because it goes on at the same time as the playoffs, it's hard to pay attention yeah, to, unfortunately. Yeah, you're not thinking about as much. But man, I feel like, you know, Nick Suzuki sliding in to be coached by Claude Julien again, probably not that uncomfortable for him, right? Uh, Julien trusted him right out of the gate. He'd probably be the number one center for Team Canada over there unless, like, some big star went, right, that we're not thinking of, so... Interesting yeah, situation for Nick. Star, sure. Who'd be the biggest star to not make the playoffs this year who would likely occupy a number one center role? That's a good I don't question. know why it's like, I mean, if hmm, Barzal's a really, yeah, maybe. I mean, really good player. There's some guys on the Islanders between him. I don't know how Tito Pavilia's season has been going, but that's also someone who might deserve a look. Sean Couturier, if he's healthy. Yeah, that's another guy. Jim was just honored in the, by his QMJHL team not too long ago. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a guy who I think even if the, if, if uh, NHL players were able to play in the Olympics earlier this year, Sean Couturier would have gotten himself some looks. So I think if you have an opportunity to take a guy like Sean Couturier in your lineup, you absolutely think about taking him. Oh, you can uh, take Jonathan Taves, but I don't, I don't know. I think Nick Suzuki might be better than Jonathan Taves at this stage in his career. I also wonder if Jonathan Taze at this point might just want to take the summer off too, oh, but hundred yeah. uh, percent. Yeah. That being said, I mean, also Jonathan Taze, if he says, all right, let me, let me get a world championship chip. Like, I mean, I think he, I think he might earn enough respect to still get himself some top minutes, but you do have a point. I mean, Suzuki's younger playing at a high level. I, I guess I could see it, but like, wow, Jonathan Taze, as he fought, I mean, then again, yeah, Jonathan Taze. I mean, he's 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 pl- finally playing after that horrible like year off and whatever sickness he had. Like, yeah, of course, I, I get it. Like, if he wanted to do that, I mean, I guess all the power to him. That'd be a good story, but it wouldn't surprise me if he just said, you know what, let me let me relax this off season and figure out what my future is going to be because I still think something's going to come up in that Chicago organization uh, with him and, and Kane and all those guys. They need to figure out who's staying and who's going. Yeah, they do. All right. Um, another positive from tonight. Yes. I really liked Jordan Harris tonight. I don't know if his underlying numbers were great or anything like that, but just his play with the puck under pressure really liked it. And I know he took the puck over glass penalty at the end of the game, but unless a player is really prone to it, that isn't really a penalty that, I care about that much because that's to me just a mistake. It's not necessarily a lack of discipline. Like sometimes you just, the puck flips on you and it goes over. 
but I thought that he had a lot of poise tonight. He was one of the few guys in the first period who I thought was able to handle Minnesota's speed. And I thought he made up for a lot of mistakes from his partner, Chris Weidman, including a terrible pass that almost went past Carey Price in the third period that Harris just kind of controlled. So I I liked his play in the offensive zone. Uh, I think he had one fumble on the power play, but it was, I believe, his first time quarterbacking the power play on the second unit there. tonight. And he made some decent, incisive passes. In the first period, he set up Mike Hoffman for a great shot, and this was the play that... uh, Got me on Hoffman's case early in the game that Hoffman couldn't figure out if he wanted to shoot it or take it off of his stick for some or off his skate for some reason and just let the puck go right by him and down yeah, the board. Uh, Harris did such a good job setting him up too. Nobody was covering him. Jordan Harris has been pretty solid since yeah. he's joined the Montreal Canadiens, and even the mis- whatever mistakes he's done. Like, I mean, the, the funniest one that stands out is him playing without his helmet. Yep, that's just an experience at the end of the day and not necessarily void of talent or skill or anything like that. Uh, you know, 